Hi, I'm Dave Westberg, and you're listening to Billboard Insider Podcast, where I interview industry leaders about trends impacting the U.S. out-of-home advertising business. This podcast is sponsored by Circle Graphics. Today's podcast guest is Jim Pogue, Safety Director at Fermetco Incorporated. Jim is responsible for helping Fermetco and its clients create, implement, and maintain health and safety programs. Welcome to the show, Jim. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. Jim, talk about your background and how you got into the out-of-home business. Well, I'm glad you asked about that. Years ago, when I was very young, I worked for an auto assembly plant in the city where I lived in Texas. And it was the first place I worked at where I actually saw people die on the job. And at that point, I decided there's got to be a better way. And I became very interested in safety, and I began getting involved in as many of the safety programs as I possibly could. And then after I moved on from that position to another, and I was enrolling in classes in college, I began taking courses that were relative to safety and health. And it just kind of stayed with me through the years. And I went from working in the medical industry, manufacturing surgeons' gloves, and moving from that to an electronics environment where I was heavily involved in safety, and then going to Clear Channel, actually Eller Media at the time, which became Clear Channel. And I was there for 17 years and then ended up going to for Metco to help them with their program. Mm -hmm. Now, what steps can an out-of-home company take to keep its employees safe during COVID? That's pretty interesting because COVID has been the most unknown entity to deal with that we've ever encountered. And a lot of the simple things that everyone's becoming familiar with, social distancing, wearing a mask, staying away from major public events, that's kind of common sense stuff. I have to kind of chuckle because if you've ever attended one of my training sessions in the last five to 10 years, one of the things I've always been an advocate on was hand washing. Hmm. I felt like it was critical based on the information about how just hand washing could reduce the spread of the common flu. Mm -hmm. So when COVID came out, I kind of smiled. It's like, yeah, you know, maybe I was on to something back then telling people <laughs> this is something you really need to concentrate on. But to be honest with you, I have still been traveling at times and a lot of the things that I see people doing are the right things as an individual. Social distancing, wearing a mask in public, making sure you're following hand wash, proper hand washing techniques. But as an employer, there are some things that we've done at Fermetco that may help some individual companies out as far as we went from large work groups to smaller like pods, hmm. smaller hmm. work groups so that we could isolate if someone were to become infected and say, okay, we've got a group that we need to kind of keep away from everyone else. We have gone through some other automated steps. We do offer masks for people during the day. We have a policy that makes sure that people aren't lurking out in people's offices, that they're keeping a suitable distance when they need to talk to them. If it's people that are not essential employees to be in the office, they work from home. And the other thing that we've done that is kind of controversial is we have set up a 
thermal image scanner so that we can take people's temperatures whenever they come into the building. Now, why is a thermal image scanner a little bit controversial? Well, the ACLU has been looking at this, and they have decided that this may be an invasion on your your personal information if you don't know about it. Hmm. So what I've been telling people is if you're going to have a temperature scanning in your workplace, you should have some type of signage that says entry into this area requires you to have your body temperature measured or have employees sign off acknowledging that they know that their body temperature is being taken. And so it doesn't come across as being some type of covert measurement that you're doing there. Or a selective, I mean, it's objective. Everyone has to do it. You're not just using it to apply additional thing against certain ethnic groups or certain genders is what you're saying. Exactly. Exactly. Now, you mentioned you're encouraging people to work from home. Does that create any safety complications? It can. And one of the things I became curious about was I went to the OSHA website and did some research looking for information on home workers. And up until about 2000, OSHA actually had the ability to come and do an investigation on your home office if oh you my. were working from home. Oh, my. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I thought as well. <laughs> so they revised it in 2000 and they said, we aren't going to come look at home offices, but if you're doing home assembly work or something like that, then yeah, you still fall under some of our requirements. Yes. But the thing that kind of triggered this with me was what about people that work from home that suddenly come down with COVID-19? OSHA is now requiring COVID-19, if you can prove it was contracted in the workplace, to be listed on your OSHA log. Hmm. So Hmm. if that's the case and you're at home and you happen to catch you know, COVID-19 from your spouse or someone else living in the house, are you required to record it on the OSHA log? Hmm. And then from there, I began thinking about it and looking into it, since we have some folks that work from home. What about your workers' comp coverage? So I've been encouraging people to at least involve your insurance company when you go to send people to work from home to make sure that you do have some type of protection and some type of coverage whenever they're not working in a traditional office environment. Now, while we're on the topic, has Formedco had any employees that have had COVID? And what is your company's policy? What do you do when someone has COVID? What do you do to make sure that the rest of the company is safe? Well, knocking on wood right now at this time, we have not had a single COVID-19 report. So that is a good thing. Yeah. We have a policy in place on what we do as far as having a requirement for anyone that is COVID positive Mm -hmm. to be furloughed from work until they can get two negatives and a release from a, a medical doctor before they return. Now, also by working in smaller groups, If we were to have someone test positive, we have the ability to more quickly alert people within that small cell as to their exposure, and we can monitor them as well as have our OCMED provider help us in making sure that they haven't contracted it as well. Mm -hmm. Jim, at Billboard Insider, we just looked at, did a study, and we looked at OSHA citations of display advertising companies, and we found there were 81 citations totaling about initially to almost 280,000 in fines over the past two years. 
works out to about $3,500 per citation. You've seen that data. What are some things that jump out at you after looking at that data? I looked at that pretty closely, and there was a couple of things that I thought of first off. I believe in your article today, you pointed out that Virginia was like one of the leaders with the citations. And that was really not too surprising because Virginia is a state plan. They are required to have a state program that is equal to or that exceeds what the federal program is. Hmm. And there are a number of state programs that almost lost their charter because federal OSHA felt like they weren't enforcing policy enough. Mm -hmm. Arizona, Nevada are a couple of the ones that the federal OSHA came in and began hammering the local offices saying, we'll take it over if you can't do it. So Virginia had been kind of lax for a while, I would say. Mm -hmm. And so now they're kind of going to the other extreme, and they're writing a lot of citations. There. One third of all citations have occurred in Virginia, and it's hard for me to believe that out-of-home companies in Virginia are that are operating in a risky manner like that. Some are. Some are. As a matter of fact, I've had a number of Virginia companies come into Fermetco and sit through our week-long training class that hmm. we do, and they did it as part of an abatement agreement where OSHA oh. came in and said, look, you've got a problem here. We're issuing you a citation. And they were smart enough to say, well, rather than spend the money here, what if I did some training? What if I sent our guys to an OSHA 10-hour class that's industry-specific? And they were willing to agree to that. So I've had uh, several people come in that were part of a, an OSHA arrangement for them to get more training for their folks. Brilliant. Anything else? Yeah. What, what else jumps out at you looking at the data? Well, it's interesting because, well, you kind of filter a little bit. There's a couple of names of companies that I feel like may not be truly the outdoor advertisers that might have been kind of lumped in here that are, you know, orphan children, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, the numbers that I look at kind of, they hold up a study that I read recently. Duke University did a study that was recently published in the Stanford School of Public Policy that said one press release on OSHA violations yields compliance equal to 210 inspections. Wow. And by that, I'm, I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, well, this is part of the reason that they're more stringent on their citations when they're they're going after a company now than what they have been because like everyone else they are working with fewer people fewer folks in the office they're trying to do things more remotely so if you hammer a company really hard during an inspection now then you've equated it to 210 other inspections and they go on to say that they see as much as a 73 percent reduction in violations in other companies in the same area within a 31 mile radius around where they do these types of citations. So it kind of makes sense when you look at the top six in your list as being the ones that have the most high dollar value citations that occur. Mm -hmm. Let's take a break here for a word from Rod Rackley, president of the at-home division at Circle Graphics. Thanks, Dave. We're happy to sponsor this Billboard Insider podcast. I'm excited to be back at Circle Graphics and leading a team of really great people. 
We're on the move here at Circle. We acquired a highly regarded printer, MMT, last month. We're expanding our Burbank or iMagic operation. And we've recently invested several million dollars to upgrade our printer fleet with Flora digital presses capable of producing a 1448 in 20 minutes. Expect to hear a lot more from Circle Graphics. You know, it's true, we have an unfair advantage. We care more. And thanks to any customers out there that are listening, we really appreciate your business. Jim, what are some of the leading causes of OSHA citations, and how can an out-of-home company mitigate them? Well, you've done a lot of the heavy lifting for me on this by listing the the types of citations in your article today. So I'm going to use that as kind of my guide here. It's always been that fall protection and fall restraint has been one of the top two or three reasons for citations in the industry. And that's why we always tend to harp on it. And am I, am I right that, that that is so key? Because if there's a, you fall off a billboard platform, you probably die if you don't have fall protection. I mean, it, that is a key risk. Am I right? You're absolutely right. Yes. And it's kind of sad because a lot of companies are trying to break the old mentality that people used to have that as long as I can hold on good, I Mm -hmm. don't need fall protection. Mm -hmm. Uh, Very short story, one of the companies that was acquired by Clear Channel that I was working with, Mm -hmm. one day before the paperwork was signed, there was a man that was out training a new hire. And the new hire gets out his harness and goes to put it on. He said, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm putting on my safety equipment. He said, you don't have to wear that because OSHA doesn't work on the weekends. <laughs> so I guess I guess they, there's no risk on the weekends. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Last I checked, gravity still <laughs> operates on the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> the sad part of that story is they walked up on this board and they were getting ready to change the ad copy. And the guy who had just made that statement walked off the end of the deck because he wasn't paying attention and landed in the middle of the street and broke oh, his back. Oh, my. There are a number of stories I could tell you about things like that, but that's just a good example example of why we preach fall protection. Jim, there is a type of citation. It's for vehicle-mounted, elevating, and rotating work platforms. What in the world is that? That's a good question, and I think a lot of people are confused by that. Normally, on citations like the list that you have, they will call out specifically the crane standard if there's a violation to it. When they call out vehicle-mounted, elevating, and rotating work platforms, they're usually talking about either A, a ladder truck, or B, a genie lift that has its own base with its own ability to have a lift and extending platform for people to work on. So somehow something relating to that is not in compliance with OSHA operations, the OSHA standards? Correct. And reading through some of the explanations on these actual citations, a lot of them were employee not trained properly to use the equipment. There was a lack of having the operator's manual on site. They didn't have inspections performed. There were a variety of things that were listed here. And it's one of those things that people don't think very much about whenever they jump on and they go to lift. It's kind of like a fork truck in people's minds. Fork trucks, if you take somebody who hasn't really studied fork trucks and you put a driver out there, 
he thinks that you can lift the world with the forks on the other end without anything happening. Mm -hmm. And they don't realize that there is a weight limitation and there's a reach limitation. And it's the same thing whenever you put people in a basket. And there are some baskets that require the operator to be hooked up inside. And there's Mm -hmm. certain control requirements where if you're going to be in a basket, the person in the basket has to use the controls there and you can't have somebody control them on the bottom and swamp pads and outriggers need to be in place anytime you go to lift somebody. So it's a little bit more to it than just purchasing a lift or renting a lift and going out and sticking somebody in and raising them up to, to a certain area. There are an awful lot of just, they call it general requirement violations, and there were an awful lot of citations for miscellaneous reasons. Jim, can you talk about, those are two pretty big catch-alls, what's in a general requirement box, citation box, and what sort of miscellaneous citations is OSHA writing? This is an area that I've been a strong advocate on people understanding for almost as long as I talked about hand washing. And what these are, are things like the Cal OSHA heat stress standard. And even though it's in California right now, you're going to see that same standard spread across the U.S. because so many people die each year Hmm. exposed to heat stress. And because employers don't have a written heat stress program, they're now exposing themselves to to receiving these types of citations. Also in here is where they lump some of the record keeping requirements. And Mm. there's a company I'm helping right now that had an accident that is going through an OSHA inspection where they're asking for some of the records. And fortunately, they had been through our class before and they were aware that they needed to contact me to to kind of brush up everything before they submitted it to OSHA to make sure that they weren't exposing themselves any more in their OSHA response than what they had with the potential investigation that they had going on at the time. So this is kind of where everything gets lumped together. And I've had a number of people ask me to review their safety program. And mm-hmm. one of the flaws that I see is the first statement, the company safety statement, well, that's signed off by the president or the CEO of the company will typically say something to the effect of, this program is designed for compliance with the 1910 OSHA standard. And that's great, but that's not all of it. Hmm. Your record keeping also falls under 1904. Mm-hmm. So if you say I'm only complying with this part, you're acknowledging I don't know the rest <laughs> of the standards. So I have to go back and do some editing where people are trying to demonstrate they have a knowledge of safety when presenting this program, which they would be better off making it more of a generic statement instead of something quite so specific. So general requirements, your training stuff, that those three areas all kind of get lumped into an additional type requirement that OSHA is looking for. Are OSHA fines negotiable? They are absolutely negotiable. And that's a flaw that a lot of people have whenever they get into an inspection. A lot of times, well, let me back up and explain. There are three parts to every OSHA inspection. There's the opening conference, there's the actual inspection, and there's the closing conference. And at the closing conference, the OSHA inspector will say, 
I've concluded after my inspection and talking with your employees, these are the things that we're going to potentially issue you a citation for. And they'll run down the list and they'll say, you're looking at a potential citation amount of $10,000. And if you just acknowledge, you know, I appreciate you coming out. I'll take a look over this information. I'll let you know what I'm going to do whenever I receive your final paperwork. Now then, when your final paperwork comes in and you've got your written out OSHA citation specific to the paragraph of what they say you violated, that now you've got something you can work with. Mm-hmm. If you didn't do it, you didn't do it. And you can actually request an informal hearing with the area director who is the boss of the OSHA inspector and say, look, I think that these citations may be a bit extreme and in some cases completely wrong. And here's my information to show that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. One of the biggest things is field inspections. Hmm. People say, oh, well, you had a person out working and you never went out and checked on them and we saw them and they weren't working safely. Mm-hmm. Well, that may actually be an employee misconduct issue where you can go in and say, look, here's all the training records. I've trained this employee from the time he started working for us to now to know better than do what he was doing. In addition to that, I have all these stacks of field inspections where without him knowing it, I went out and watched him work and recorded what he was doing and that he was using his equipment properly. Mm -hmm. What more can I do at that point? So then the area director, more than likely, because most of them are, are pretty good guys and they'll listen to both sides of the story. They will say, okay, what what are you proposing? What do you want to do? I can give you a reduction in penalty. You know, that's where it becomes more of a bargaining issue. Mm-hmm. And I've had a lot of people, as I mentioned earlier, come to my class as part of an agreement during an OSHA citation where they said, how about if I spend the money for training rather than just write you guys a check? Smart. And sometimes they'll accept it and sometimes they'll say, well, no. We want to get the full effect of this inspection to where it has that reach of 110 other inspections. Mm -hmm. So we're going to pretty much stand our guns. But OSHA is always negotiable on both the penalty and the citation. And I didn't touch on the citation. And if you've got a minute, I'd like to explain that as well. Please do. Okay. If you get an OSHA citation and it's specific to something you have done that was incorrect. Let's say you get a fall protection citation. That citation lives with you for five years. And if OSHA comes out and they catch your employees doing the same thing that they were doing before, and they come back to you, they're going to say, okay, not only is this a serious, this is a willful citation. And they're going to up the penalty by about 10 times because you knew that this was wrong and you knew you needed to do something after the first one and evidently you didn't do anything. Mm -hmm. So having a citation like that living on your record with OSHA sometimes is not a good thing to have. So if you can go in and negotiate the citation and say, look, look at our record. We have not had an accident in three years. We are a small employer. I would rather receive a general duty clause violation, which is the employer failed to provide a safe and helpful workplace to employees, 
than have a specific one because those are harder to prove later on if they come back in and do a secondary inspection. So whenever you're getting cited, there are a lot of facets that you need to consider that you can negotiate on. I have had the area directors reduce the penalty from a specific hazard to a general duty clause violation many times. Mm -hmm. I've also had them reduce the amount of a penalty more than half or take it away completely in some of the settings. It just depends on how good your record keeping is and how good of a fight you can put up in an argument about Mm -hmm. that. So an OSHA inspector arrives at my company or my employees are out on site and an OSHA inspector shows up. What should I instruct my employees to do? If an OSHA inspector shows up on site, one of the first things you want your guys to do or your receptionist to do is to make sure they truly are OSHA inspectors. They'll present a badge or they'll have a business card that you can verify they are who they say they are. And you want everyone to remember that they are truly government agents. So you don't want to be rude to them. There was a gentleman who was had an OSHA inspector show up on his job site years ago that belly bumped the guy and knocked him off his feet because he wasn't happy that he had shut down his job site. And that was a $10,000 penalty. You're not going to win that. (laughs) No. (laughs) So you don't want to be rude or aggressive to them. Keep in mind, they're doing their job. And it's best if you are on a job site, you stop working, you shut the site down, and you go to see what it is they want. Because they'll be standing on the ground, usually trying to signal you to shut everything down to come talk to them. Mm -hmm. If they come into your facility, you put them into a a conference room or somewhere that they can sit, offer them a cup of coffee, ask them why they're there. They need to tell you what they're there for. They can't say, oh, I just thought I would drop in and say hello and look around. You know, they need to have a reason to be there. So will they say general inspection or looking at this or looking at that? Yes, they will say they will also identify what type of inspection they're doing. Mm -hmm. Is it an imminent danger? Is it a scheduled inspection? Is it something that's an employee complaint? So they ha- you can get information from them on why they're there and what they want to see. Then from there, what you want to do is comply and show them exactly what they ask to see. Mm-hmm. I'm helping a company right now that is going through some inspections with OSHA, and the first thing you want to do is you want to prove your point so bad you want to give them all this other information to show them this is you know much better of a, a work environment than you think it is and I've got more information to provide and that's not good because everything you provide them with they can now cite you for if they're not happy with it so just provide them specifically what they ask for if they want to see something else they'll let you know right right Then the next thing they'll do is they'll say, I want to go look at the work site. I want to go do a plant tour. I want to do something specific to their reason for being there. And you go with them there. They may want to have a representative of the employees with them. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. And then 
They'll walk through, they'll take pictures. I recommend people taking pictures of the same general area that they take pictures of. Mm -hmm. If they want to set up any type of industrial hygiene, air sampling or noise sampling, it's advisable that you do the same as well. Then you have a set of records that you can compare to theirs and make sure that theirs are accurate and consistent with what yours are. Then after they finish all of this, they may ask to talk to employees. Now, this is one of those areas where I kind of have to proceed with caution because mm -hmm. OSHA says they have the right to interview employees at any time on the job site, and they will ask for employee information, their phone numbers, and their home address. I also tell the employer that they can tell their employees that the employee in the beginning is not obligated to speak to an OSHA inspector. They can say, I am not comfortable talking to you about this, or I would rather have someone in here with me if I'm going to talk to you. It is their right to speak to an OSHA inspector, but I also tell people in 25 years of doing OSHA work, I would never go one-on-one -on -one with an OSHA inspector because no matter mm -hmm. if it's an OSHA inspector or someone else doing some type of inspection, you're always going to ask questions and answer them for the person as they're speaking in your mind, how you hear their answer. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be a little biased. And at the end of their interview, they're going to turn around this piece of paper and they're going to say, here's what you said, please sign it at the bottom. And it now becomes a legal document. So coming back to employees, do, do my employees, if, if I have an employee that just does not want to talk to uh, OSHA, can my employee say, you know, I'd rather not talk to you, or do they, they have to talk to OSHA? They can certainly say that. They can say, I don't want to talk to you, and OSHA can go out and get a subpoena and say, yes. now you will talk to me. Yes. But there's an interesting twist here. Now that they've got a subpoena, it becomes a legal matter. Mm -hmm. And because it is legal, the employee can have not just anybody they choose, they can have a lawyer sit in with them and advise them on what to say or not to say. Depending on the severity of the case and how bad the fight is, it might be better just to, to say, look, you can talk to them if you want to, not pushing you either way. It is your right. Mm -hmm. If I were you, I would have somebody in there to take notes on what was said. So once again, we've got what he says I said and what this other person says what I said. But if it's a situation where it involves fatality or something that is catastrophic event, I would definitely see if the employee said they didn't want to talk to them mm -hmm. and they subpoenaed them, if we could furnish them, the employer, me being the employer, could furnish them with an attorney mm -hmm. to aid them and guide them through some of the questions that they would be asked in private with an OSHA inspector. Yes. So when OSHA arrives, be cooperative. Don't turn it into conflict. Be cooperative, but make sure your employees know they have the option to basically choose not to speak to the inspector if they wish. Correct. Okay. Correct. And depending on the inspector's tenacity, I would say, mm -hmm. or the severity of the citation that they're viewing, it may come down to them getting a subpoena. But if it's at that level, you're pretty much assured that you've got a, a court issue ahead of you as opposed to just a standard inspection and 
discussion with the inspector. Mm-hmm. Jim, how can Formetco assist an out-of-home company in keeping workers safe and in avoiding OSHA fines? Since 2017, Formetco has been doing week-long training sessions, and we have people come in. We do an OSHA 10-hour course that is geared towards the outdoor industry. We do CPR and first aid. We do best practices. We do climber training. We do all these different hands-on types of classes that help an employer demonstrate to OSHA that their employees are trained, that they aren't just handed safety equipment told, go out and climb that structure and change this copy. In addition to which, I have helped a number of companies as a advisor, I guess you would say, on everything from how their policy should be constructed down to some of the folks that I acknowledged earlier that are having some OSHA trials right now that I'm trying to walk them through. So it's not like we're just supplying hardware, which we do have a number of different safety products to choose from as far as harnesses, lanyards, and things like that. But we also offer the training aspect. And we've just recently constructed our own, I guess you would call it drop test dummy. It's more like an Iron Man made out of steel, kind of like a stick figure Hmm. that weighs 310 pounds. And we have been doing some of our own drop testing on equipment, not because there's anything that has happened or is wrong, but just to validate in our minds that it really will perform properly if we had a person fall that was wearing our equipment. So we're doing engineering and design of equipment. We're putting out new products, and we're doing training all within the Fermetco mm-hmm. brand right there. I can speak to, I've been to one of your safety classes. They're outstanding. They go through everything from how to set up and put the paperwork together behind a program to how to, how to be safe up on a billboard, to actually demonstrating it up on a billboard is just outstanding. (laughs) Jim, do you have any safety seminars coming up? We have them coming up all the time. Mm -hmm. And we encourage everyone to get on the Fermetco email list so that Mm -hmm. you can get updates. And I'm going to break something new here on your podcast that a lot of people don't know about. Hmm. We have just recently revamped our website. Mm -hmm. And if you go to Fermetco.com, and you click on the drop-down box that has the hardware section, and you click on it, mm-hmm. you will see a safety link that will take you to a library of all different types of safety talks, safety blogs. We're posting videos there, and it's all free Perfect. if you want to go there and check it out. Perfect. We will make sure to also put a link to that part of the website on our show notes. That's all for this week. Thanks for appearing on the show, Jim. Oh, thanks for having me. This podcast was edited by Lucas Jones and sponsored by Circle Graphics. You can listen to episodes of the Billboard Insider podcast by visiting BillboardInsider.com or by subscribing to the Billboard Insider podcast on iTunes or any of the usual podcast outlets. Our email is BillboardInsider at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. I'll be back in a couple weeks.